down to Children's Church where Lisa will work her magic on them on her birthday. Bob's got a birthday coming up, and both of them will soon be celebrating their 35th anniversary this week sometime. So congratulations to Bob and Lisa on that. Join me for a word of prayer once again, would you please? Father, we need you. We need you because we can't do the change in our lives that needs to be done by ourselves. We're thankful that you have equipped us for change because you've given us your word and how we praise you for that. But you've also sent your Holy Spirit to work in our hearts and minds and lives. We give him free reign this morning. Change us as you desire. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Open your Bibles with me to Joshua chapter 3 as we continue our journey Old Testament book full of great stories that have practical lessons for us today. Those of you who are familiar with the history of the nation of Israel understand that after the Passover, the Israelites had been expelled from Egypt by the reigning Pharaoh so that they could go and worship their God. They stood by the Red Sea and saw salvation. They saw the deliverance of the Lord. Pharaoh, his chariots, his soldiers were in hot pursuit behind them. The Red Sea is in front of them. They were utterly and completely lost, but the Lord opened the Red Sea to become a superhighway for the nation of Israel to cross. They spent about a year near Mount Sinai where they received God's laws and His precepts and His instructions for how they were supposed to behave when they came into the promised land. According to Deuteronomy chapter 1, verse 2, it's about an 11-day journey to get from Mount Sinai to the promised land. But upon arriving, Moses sent 12 spies to go check things out. Majority report was, there's no way for us to take this land. But there were two spies, Joshua and Caleb, who looked beyond the giants and focused on God. But their counsel was rejected. And so they were banished to wander in the wilderness. God had promised Abraham that this, law, this land belonged to him. God told Moses this land was going to be theirs. But the people accepted the majority report and concluded that God was either a liar or untrustworthy. Thus they were banished to the wilderness where that generation would ultimately die out. At the end of Joshua chapter 2, the spies returned to Joshua and gave report that truly the Lord has given all the land into our hands and also the inhabitants of the land melt away because of that because of us it's time it's time now to get moving we need to keep that in mind what do we need to focus on as we decide we are going to walk in step with the god who acts solely on our behalf in our first lesson we need to point out in verses one through six is that god is in control look at your text with me this morning Joshua rose early in the morning. They set out from Shittim, and as they came to the Jordan, all the people of Israel lodged there before they passed over. At the end of three days, the officers went through the camp and commanded the people, as soon as you see the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord your God being carried by the Levitical priests, then you shall set out from your place and follow it. Yet there shall be a distance between you and it, about 2,000 cubits in length. Do not come near it in order that you may know the way you shall go, for you have not passed this way before. 
Then Joshua said to the people, Consecrate yourselves, for tomorrow the Lord will do wonders among you. And Joshua said to the priests, Take up the Ark of the Covenant, pass on before the people. So the Ark of the Covenant went before the people. Two spies come back from checking out Jericho. Two spies return from having spent that time with Rahab, where she masterfully redirects the king and the, and the JPD. Remember them? The Jericho Police Department. Defend in some other direction. And the two spies come back and say, Joshua, I'm not going to believe it. Man, we are going to take this land. The hearts of the people in that walled city are melting because of us. And you would think when word got out to the nation of Israel, oh man, did you hear the report of the spies? The spies said, we got this. The people there are scared to death of us. You would think at that time that this was, uh, that this was a time when they wanted to chomp at the bit and get going. But no, they had to camp beside the river there for three days. Several good principles for us to see in this section the first principle is simply this. God is to be followed, not led. Hearing the good report of the spies, as I said, I imagine Israel's chomping at the bit. Let's go. Come on. They're scared of us now. If we wait three days, maybe they're not going to be so scared of us. Maybe something will happen. Something will happen to us. Something will happen to them. And their courage will be bolstered. And somehow it's going to be much more difficult. It gives Joshua very specific instructions that they're to wait three days. And when they, at the end of those three days, the Ark of the Covenant was supposed to go before the people. The Ark of the Covenant represented the presence of God Himself in the midst of the people. The Ark of the Covenant is a foreshadowing of Jesus Christ Himself. And you can do a nice study on the Ark of the Covenant and how it matches up with Jesus and all of that on your own. But here they weren't supposed to move until the Ark was ahead of them. Because God is to be followed, not led. Far too many people today, including Christians, think that they can tell God what He should plan for their lives or how much money they should be making or even how God is to be worshipped. What height of arrogance to think and act and behave like we can establish God's plan for our lives. And that somehow... God just has to sit there, look over our plans, and put his stamp of approval on them. That's not the way it's supposed to go. It's true, we can seek the hearts of God. We can follow the Spirit of God as we see him moving in our midst, and we can have great confidence in doing this. But the issue comes when we set our, set our plans and our goals and our ambitions without even consulting God, sometimes in direct or subtle disobedience to His Word, and then expect God to say, well, I guess that's okay with me. It's not the way it happens. God is to be followed, not led. Secondly, we need to understand that God is unapproachable. We can see this in verse 4. God puts a specific distance, 2,000 cubits. I did the math. I'm not real good at math. But 2,000 cubits, that's 3,000 feet. That's roughly half of a mile that needs to be kept between the people and the ark of God. Now you wonder, why is that? Why, why a half of a mile? And I don't have any doubt that part of this is so that the whole Israelites, and we need to keep in mind, how many people are in the nation at this time? It's probably somewhere 
And so a million people would be crossing the Jordan. You need the Ark of the Covenant way out in front of you so all of them could see it. All of them could be sure, yes, we are living our lives exactly the way we are supposed to be living our lives. They're supposed to see the Ark. I like the way one commentator put it, deity and dust must be separated so that dust can keep its eyes on God. Isn't that a good thought? Fallen man is unholy. And because of our sin, we are forever separated from a holy God. The only way that a gap can be bridged is to bring in a perfect man to offer a, a perfect sacrifice, to make a perfect payment for our sins. And that's what Jesus did. And that's why the Ark of the Covenant has to go out front because it represents Jesus Christ. And until Jesus leads us, and until Jesus has paved the way for us, we have no business rushing off into our own plans. Apart from the work of Jesus, God is unapproachable. But there's a third tremendous lesson here, and it's this. God does miracles among those who are cleansed. Look at verse 5. Joshua instructs the people to consecrate themselves. For the Jewish nation, that would have involved each of them making a sacrifice to make sure that they were both morally and ceremonially clean. Again, it's a foreshadowing of the sacrifice that would be made one day that would have the power to make us acceptable in the eyes of a holy God. And the miracle is that God is the one who cleans us. It's not a matter of us cleaning ourselves up so we're acceptable to Him. God comes and cleans us up. Most of you know I'm a big fan of Southern gospel music. My wife, not so much. It's part of the reason why I love mowing my lawn. I can put my headphones on. I can listen to my southern gospel music as loud as I want to. I come inside, no. But I love southern gospel music and love the messages that it contains. And one of the greatest gospel writers of all times, and you'll you'll probably recognize his name if you are a fan of southern gospel music, is simply Bill Gaither. He wrote a whole lot of southern gospel music. One of the songs that he has written that comes across my ears from time to time is this beautiful, beautiful lyrics that say say simply this. If you could see, I won't sing them, you can thank me later. If you could see what I once was, if you could go with me back to where I started from, then I know you would see a miracle of love that took me in its sweet embrace and made me what I am today, a sinner saved by grace. And that's what God does for us. He does that work in our lives, using the words of that commentator and kind of modifying them. The presence of God can do incredible stuff with just dust, like you and me. Have you ever been cleansed? Have you ever submitted yourself to that miracle of love that tells you, how sinful you are, and yet how much God loves you? Have you put your faith in God who alone has the power to cleanse you? You need to do that today if you haven't done that already. That's the most important thing you will ever do in your life because it puts a stamp of of sealing on you that you will live forever with God someday. That's a wonderful thing. God does miracles among those who are clean, but He delights to clean them. And that's who we are today. We're just 
sinners saved by grace. A second lesson that we learn in our text comes from verses 7 through 8 where we see God exalts those who obey Him. Verse 7 and 8, the Lord said to Joshua, Today I will begin to exalt you in the sight of all Israel, that they may know that as I was with Moses, so I will be with you. And as for you, command the priests who bear the Ark of the Covenant, when you come to the brinks of the waters of the Jordan, you shall stand still in the Jordan. God had already promised Joshua that he would be with him as he was with Moses. The crossing of the, of the, of the uh, River Jordan was, was to be a bookmark event that would cause the people to see that just as Moses was their leader, there's a new guy in charge now, and God is with him as well. And as I already mentioned in the previous message, Moses went up on a mountaintop there, and he died, and God buried him, and the people didn't get a chance to say goodbye to him, really. But Moses was their leader. Moses is the one who took them out of Egypt. Moses is the one who led them through the wilderness. Moses is the one who spared God's wrath from coming upon them. And now Moses is gone. And the people are looking at a new leader and wondering, can we trust this guy? Is this guy really going to be the one who can lead us into the promised land? And so God said, this crossing of the Jordan River was so miraculously similar to the crossing of the Red Sea so that if anybody in the nation had any questions, they'd be silenced. Moses crossed the Red Sea. Joshua parted the, the, rivers of the, river, the waters of the River Jordan. And everybody should be able to say at that point, yep, he's a guy. There should not be any question about it. The priests were the ones who were supposed to bear the Ark of the Covenant to the edge of the flooded river, and then they had to step in. It is that first step of faith that makes all the difference. I apologize for going back to my skydiving experience, but it is that I learned that there is a whole world of wonder just one step beyond our greatest fears. And that's what the people of Israel realized that watch half a, uh, half a mile away as the priests took one step into the river and the waters parted. It had to be an absolutely powerful visual thing for them. And in fact, that's our next lesson because we learned that God loves to move in dramatic ways. Look at verses 9 through 13. Joshua said to the people of Israel, Come here, listen to the words of the Lord your God. I've often thought that'd be a great way to start a message. Come here and listen to the words of the Lord your God. And Joshua said, Here is God. That's so, so powerful here. That the God is among you, and that he will, without fail, drive out from before you the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Hivites, the Perizzites, the Girgashites, the Amorites, the Jebusites, the Parasites, the Mosquitoites, all the other things that are in there. God will drive them out from before you. Behold, the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord of all the earth is passing before you into the Jordan. Now therefore, take 12 men from the tribes of Israel, each tribe a man, and that kind of, it stops there. We'll pick that up again later. And when the soles of the feet of the priests bearing the ark of the Lord, the Lord of all the earth, shall rest in the waters of the Jordan, 
the waters of the Jordan shall be cut off from flowing, and the waters coming down above shall stand in one heap. Joshua makes sure that the people understand that what they are about to see is to be interpreted as a dynamic promise in their lives. This is the Lord of all the earth who is leading you into the Jordan River. The God who can stop the flow of the mighty Jordan River in its flood stage, as we're going to see in a minute, it can guarantee them success in their battle against their enemies. God Joshua to have each one, each tribe pick one man to pick up a stone. We'll get into that in chapter 4 next week. Then we come to our fourth lesson. And it is this. Only once God has cleansed us do we have the privilege of drawing near to Him. Look with me. Verses 17. So when the people set out from their tents to pass over the Jordan, with the priests bearing the Ark of the Covenant before the people, and as soon as those bearing the ark had come as far as the Jordan, and the feet of the priests bearing the ark were dipped in the brink of the water, now the Jordan overflows all its banks throughout, throughout the time of the harvest, the waters coming down from above stood up and rose up in a heap very far away at Adam, the city that is beside Zarathon, and those flowing down toward the Sea of the Arabah, the Salt Sea, were complete. People passed over opposite Jericho. Now the priests bearing the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord stood firmly on dry ground in the midst of the Jordan, and all Israel was passing over on dry ground until all the nation finished passing over the Jordan. Here is an amazing story of obedience. The kind of obedience that takes place as people pack up all their belongings. They were given three days to get everything ready. They pack up all their belongings. They keep the, the priests out there a half of a mile ahead of them. But as they watch and as the souls of the priests step into the water, the waters back up into a heap up at a city called Adam. I tried to figure out where that was and, and at that time. That's about 17 miles away. Sometimes God does things you can't even see. Keep that in mind. They couldn't see what God was doing 17 miles away, but it piled up there, and all the rest of the waters kept flowing down the river to the, the, the salt sea. We call it today the Dead Sea. Becky and I have had the privilege on our sabbatical in going to the salt sea, the Dead Sea. The salt content is so dense in, this, in the Dead Sea that you cannot sink. Both of us went out, in, and you just can't go down. I mean, it just, you just float on top. And that's why nothing grows in the Dead Sea because the salt content is so, so high. But the waters float away and the waters back up. And the people, 100 million plus people, pass over the flooded stage of the Jordan River on dry ground. But here's the big point that grabbed me in my study this past week. This is the one I think is the most significant point to be made here. Verse 17, look here. It tells us, Now the priests bearing the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord stood firmly on dry ground in the midst of the Jordan. It wasn't as if the priests bearing the Ark of the Covenant put their feet in the water and the waters parted and they went all the way across. The people followed them. The, the text here tells us the priests stopped in the middle of the Jordan. 
It's as if they were holding the waters back there while the nation of Israel passed by. If the priests are standing with the Ark of the Covenant in the midst of the river, that means that one million plus people approached God and walked right past Him without, without punishment. And that's huge. This is not luck. This is not an abracadabra, open sesame form of tricky illusion. This is the sovereign hand of God at work on behalf of people whom He loves, who have obeyed Him completely in spite of their fears and their misgivings. This is a, this is a picture of people who have been cleansed by God who now have the privilege of coming into the very, into the very presence of God. It's what we do here every Sunday morning, and it is beautiful, and it is miraculous, and it is something we've got to remember to tell our kids and our grandkids. It's not by chance that we gather here on Sunday morning and speak to God. It's not some form of high-tech trickery that we're able to praise Him and have Him listen to our praises. It is because God is present, because he loves his people, and it is he who has redeemed us, it is he who has cleansed us, it is he who has made us acceptable in his sight, because we are no longer in our sins, we are clothed with the righteousness of Jesus Christ, and he welcomes us as he would welcome his very own son. And none of us deserves that. But all of us have that because of God's work. Robert J. Morgan has written a book entitled The Red Sea Rules. I don't know if any of you have read this book. You ought to if you don't have it already. In this book, this little booklet, he draws out ten rules for our lives that can be seen from the events of the people of Israel crossing the Red Sea. And I got this book, and I read it, and I liked it, and I thought, wow, that was really good. It's more of a devotional nature. There's not a, a great deal of theology in there. It's far more practical than anything else. And then I was very pleased to find out later on he wrote a second book called The, the, the Jordan River Rules. And so I snatched that one up too. In this book, he gives, again, ten rules that we can derive principles we can hold on to in our lives that are based on this event of the people of Israel crossing the Jordan River. I'm not going to give all 10 of them. I found two of them that I said, these are my favorites, and i got to share these two with you. First rule from the Jordan River rule, which again is written by Robert J. Morgan. Rule number one, God means for you to move forward. There is a time to settle in and prepare. There's a time to take care of business and problems. But those times always come too quickly to an end. And as we saw earlier in Joshua, God says, now is the time for you people to move forward. For 40 years they had wandered in the wilderness. And the temptation would be, if we stop here for a while, and we're close enough to the promised land, and two and a half tribes thought they were, then we could just settle in here. But no, God wants to keep us moving forward. Facing problems doesn't always mean that we have to stand still and figure them out. Sometimes we have to just keep moving 
and keep moving forward in the faith of a God who will work those things out according to His own plan. So I just want to ask you this morning, is your life stalled spiritually? Are you kind of sitting there and saying, well, I remember when God really moved me through passages of Scripture or some other thing, but it's been a long time. And I've just kind of stalled out in my spiritual life. Like the people of Israel, this is the time to move forward. It doesn't mean it's always going to be easy, and it doesn't mean that the problems that immediately present themselves are automatically going away. The people of Israel had to take faith to move, to gather up their belongings, and to watch as half a mile away the priest stepped foot in the, in the Jordan River. But the principle here is so true in our lives. God means for you and me to keep moving forward. And if your life spiritually has stagnated, if it has stalled out, if you sit here today and you say, I can't remember the last time that God moved mightily in my heart and in my life, it's time to get up and move. It's time to start taking big steps of faith. It's time to follow God in obedience. Many times, it's just time to do what you already know what to do. Our problem is not information. It is motivation. We've got to be moving forward in our lives. We've got enough information, don't we? All of us have heard the Bible. You've heard pre preachers far better than me. You've heard messages that have been more powerful than mine. But the truth of the matter is that we know enough about God right now to move forward in faith. And God means for you to move forward. I love this passage in Isaiah chapter 43. God says, I have called you by name. You are mine. When you pass through the waters, I will be with you and the rivers will not overwhelm you. I think the prophet must have been looking back at this event. Maybe he knew what God as the people are trying to gather up the courage to try to face that flooded Jordan. And it's hard because obstacles that are in front of us are never easy to overcome. And sometimes there's a great deal of fear and struggle in our lives. And so God says, I have called you by name. You are mine. But that doesn't mean you stay standing still. When you pass through the waters, no matter how daunting that may be, I will be with you, and the rivers will not overwhelm you. And that leads to rule number seven in Morgan's book, which is this. Trust God to turn problems into pathways. The people of Israel faced an overwhelming problem. The Jordan River is at flood stage. Normally, it is at one depth, but at flood stage, it's far deeper. And they had to have all their belongings, all their kids, all their animals that they had, the animals that they keep on hand for sacrifices, how they had to get all of those across that Jordan. No way it could ever happen until God opens up a pathway from their problems. 
And I don't know what problems you may be facing today. But I tell you this, we need to trust God to turn our problems into pathways. In fact, I want to tell you what the author, Robert Morgan, said in his book. And I'll leave you with this. This is what he says in his book. Our Lord Jesus has already crossed the river of every challenge we'll ever face. And he has secured the rope of grace to the tree of God's omnipotence. We simply hold on by faith and proceed one step at a time. Again, I don't know where you're at in your walk. But maybe you're the one today who's facing an an issue. Before... Got any mountains you can't tunnel to, to, can't tunnel through? Got any rivers that seem to be uncrossable? Maybe today is the day when you need to simply hang on to the rope of God's grace that is secured to the omnipotence of God and take the step of faith that God is calling you to take no matter what your fears and anxieties may be. That probably explains a lot of things to almost every one of us. Because we all have our own issues. God didn't save a whole bunch of perfect people except my wife. We all have our struggles. We just need to hold on to the rope of God's grace and take a step of faith. Let's pray. Father, the crossing of the River Jordan is truly simply miraculous. And it was accomplished, as we are about to sing, solely, completely, and wholly because of grace alone. That you are omnipotent. And that problems that seem insurmountable to us, rivers that that appear uncrossable, and mountains that, that seem like we'll never be able to tunnel through them, You simply laugh at them because the solution to you is so simple. Teach us, Father, what it is to walk in step with the God who acts in love toward us every single day. Give us the faith to hold on to your grace. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you.